Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome everyone to The Spiritual Forum. So glad you're here. As I've mentioned before, you have a choice of what podcast to be listening to, and so glad you're listening to this one today. We bring a message through people's stories and through their wisdom and their just way of being and living spiritually, hopefully encourage you on your spiritual path. This is a 501c3 nonprofit, so if you choose to donate, that'd be really helpful because it's the only thing that kind of keeps us going and allows this podcast to be on the air. So thank you for all who've donated in the past and who will donate in the future. And I think that's about all I have to say today. Who wants a long run-up? <laughs> Let me introduce today's guest. Sean Murphy started his spiritual journey at the age of 14 after leaving the Catholic Church. His search for a logical explanation of Christianity took him on a journey through history, philosophy, and 18 different religions. As an engineer and entrepreneur, his curiosity has led his search for a logical explanation of the spiritual world and the original teachings of all the prophets and Jesus. He's published four books and numerous papers on religion and spirituality. He's a prolific writer on Quora with over 6.6 million views and the creator of three spaces there, the spiritual world, early Christian wisdom, and torn between two worlds. Welcome, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here today and, and talk to you about uh, my life's journey, and hopefully it can be inspiring for others to you know, dig, dig for the truth and look for something that makes sense to you. I love that about you. I think that asking questions and not just taking everything on face value and digging into your beliefs is is the journey that we're on. We've been so conditioned for so long with so many tales and so many myths, and not that all of them are false, but to ask the questions and dig into it, you're a real role model for that. So thank you for being with here today with me. And so let's start by giving you the opportunity to kind of briefly tell your story, your journey, particularly as as you're going through 18 different religions. I know as a as a unity minister, I led a church for like 10 or 12 years. Many had many, many, many former Catholics come to my church. I'm very familiar with people who've left Catholicism. Uh, but yours is really interesting because you went through a journey through history, philosophy, and 18 different religions. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, thank you very much. Um, you know, in, in our household, growing up in a in a Catholic uh, environment, you know, my father was a was a deacon, and his brother was a priest. Um, it was hard to get away from from the religion. So, I, you know, we were expected to go to church every Sunday, and at the age of fourteen, I had been to the Catholic church enough, and just it didn't make any sense to me. I'm I'm an engineer. I'm a very logical thinker, and what have, have been since a, a young child. And so I went to church every Sunday. I went to different churches. I went to the Baptist church. I went to the Methodist church. I went to the uh, Buddhist temple. I went to Hindu Hindu uh, temples, you know. And by the time I got out of college, I had visited all these different places. Um, you know, I went I went to the um, Far East, and you know, I really fell in love with Buddhism. Um, you know, the, this concept of you know 
be, just becoming better and until we become so good that we don't need to come back here um, to earth. And from the view of looking at humanity, you know, the the difference between peoples around the world, there's no way that in one lifetime we can achieve perfection, which which Jesus demands of us. Um, people people read the uh, Sermon on the Mount and they forget what he actually says. He says, we have to become perfect as God is perfect. Um, so many Christians think just believing in Jesus will make you perfect, but that's not the case. And the Buddhists, I think, had it right, is that it takes a lot of work to become perfect. And, um, you know, that's what I rediscovered in the Ionian Greeks. You know, the, the Ionian Greeks are the ones that modern science have always gone back to, to figure out where we went wrong. Um, you know, it's where Galileo went when when he, you know, was looking at the the stars, looking at the sun and saying, well, the earth isn't the center of the universe, as, as Rome was teaching. Um, he went back to Euclid, he went back to Archimedes, to uh, Pythagoras, and he rediscovered what science was in the beginning. But what intrigued me most about this group, this society back then, is that they created theories you know, two and a half thousand years ago that are still valid today. And when you think about in my lifetime, I'm, I'm not that old, but how many theories have been overturned in my lifetime in science, right? Um, but, you know, these, these guys had a, a different view of the universe and uh, digging into, into who they really were and what, what they really were. They, were. they were healers. They were magician, uh, musicians doctors, um, philosophers, and scientists. You know, Erwin Schrodinger, when he uh, <clears throat> saw what happened at the dawn of, of quantum mechanics, he said, how could we be so stupid? Speaking of scientists, how did we not see this coming? And he went back to Archimedes, to Democritus, and he rediscovered the holistic view that they had. Um, and when you look at God's creation in a holistic viewpoint, um, you can start to maybe discover what are the spiritual laws that are behind these physical laws in his creation? Because it's not, he's not chaotic. We know that. His creation isn't chaotic. Um, it's beautiful in, in its whole self. And, and that's what they taught. And the, the spiritual laws that they taught, and I, you know, I go back to Socrates, who's the father of logic. But if you read his work, you'll see that he talks more about the gods than he does about logic. <laughs> um, and it's, it's really, really quite amazing. But that's what allowed their theories to be timeless because they understood the spiritual laws that create the material laws. Um, and that's where the first Christians came from. They were Greeks, if you remember. They were all Greeks. And they were all waiting for the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Logos. The Jews weren't waiting for them. They're still waiting for him. But the Greeks were waiting. And that's where Paul went to teach the, the Greeks. And they, and they were the first 
scientifically based, logically based theologians. Um, and origin of Alexandria was, you know, the the best of these early theologians who had the logic of of Plato, who understood the holistic viewpoint. So let me just ask you quickly, when you say holistic viewpoint, is are you talking about like mind, body, spirit, or something else? More than that. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, all of the physical laws in this in this world, this universe that we live in, um, were came through a creation that has other laws that govern it. And understanding holistically what the material world, how it works, how the spiritual world works, um, it's more than just mind, body, and spirit. It's it includes all of uh, science. Mm-hmm. And you know, actually, when I when I say that, I mean body is the material. So, like the material and the spiritual as uh, all together, material, spiritual, and what else? Anything else? No, no. It's just that um, I'm trying to bring it down to laws, um, and because my experience has been talking to a lot of spiritual type of people, psychics and so forth, and also the church, um, they talk about magic when it comes, and mystery when it comes to the spiritual world. And what the what the Ionian Greeks talked about were the laws of the spiritual world, not, not chaos, not magical, mm-hmm. but laws, which, which Jesus talked about. I mean, you know, Jesus told us we have to repay our debts to the last farthing. He said, when we give love, we receive more love in return. And uh, uh, John Nash got the Nobel Prize for proving that, if you, if you know what, that, what I'm talking about. Yeah, so you're talking about like the scientific laws and the spiritual laws are like the same. Are, well, they're not, the, they're not the same. They were, they're, they're consistent. I'll just put it that way. Not the same, but they're consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, before we go on, I, I think when you talked about, was it Schrodinger who said, how, how, how do we not see? Yeah. I think that question is so interesting. Don't you think that is a question that is always going to be asked about every age? Well, well it, it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many, so, many these, that so many things that are obvious to us now weren't obvious to people in former years. And so many things that we take for granted as being, you know, in the future, people will look and go, how did they not see <laughs> How do they not see that? I think it's an interesting way, interesting mind to have is how do we not see? So you can keep talking about that if you want, and, but, but I do want to get into the rhetoric and wisdom and and how all of that came came out, or your book on that, your thoughts on that came out of this. Um, well, that was, the, that was the most difficult one for me to write um, because, and I think it's the most difficult one for all of us to deal with is how do we t- determine what is true wisdom when somebody is speaking and what is a mixture of truth and lie which is rhetoric it's it's something that has it has a motive behind it mm-hmm. right um and, and it's really quite dif- difficult the socrates spent the the end of his life trying to um, make that point through the Socratic method of just questioning, trying to 
keep questioning, you know, well, what's behind, what's behind, what's behind, what's behind um, what you're trying to say. And, uh, you know, trying to discover what is true wisdom it is a lot of work. Um, and, you know, I, I was, I was at a um, philosophy conference. I was invited to Liverpool to present my paper on origin. And that's really where it, it hit me about this problem because these all these philosophers had come together to talk about um you know the the basically the ancient philosophers and i was talking to these grad students uh, phd students and they came up to me and they said you really believe what you're studying i wish i could do that uh, interesting yeah it's it's interesting but but my, what i found is that um people use um Aristotle and Plato in the same sentence, mm -hmm. and Socrates in the same sentence, and those are the ones that I that I talk about in 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 my book is because um, Socrates created the Socratic method and and Plato documented it. He documented the dialogue, which is what I try to do on Cora. Is that when people ask questions, I like to keep the dialogue there. So that other people can read the dialogue and and make up their own mind, and that's what what Plato was able to do, rather than answer the question is what you're saying. Yes, yeah. So I I go on Quora, ask a spiritual question or something, and you you would create a dialogue so that I engage with you. Yeah, but I don't get handed the answer by you. Um, I I usually just put out hints and uh -huh. help people to find the answer themselves. Yes. Um, but what the, what the point I was trying to make with, with the difference between Plato and Aristotle is that Aristotle used what he learned in Plato's school, um, to, you know, go help, um, uh, a conqueror essentially. Um, if he, if he was as good as Plato, he should have taken over, um, as the head of the academy when, when Plato died, but he didn't. And it wasn't until the Catholic Church or the Roman Church was looking for an explanation for their theory that the earth was the center of the universe that they found Aristotle. Mm. Not, none of his contemporaries read him. It was only 700 years later that the church had grabbed him because he, ex he explained that. I mean, if you explain his physics, you know, heavy things are on the ground, light things are in the air. So everything that's up above us is is lighter than what's on the ground because that's why it's above us. So so they found the guy that gave them the answer that they wanted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that happens today too. <laughs> yes. Um, Let's hire that scientist. <laughs> but but my point is is he didn't even understand the basic um, laws of physics that was taught in the, in Plato's Academy. Mm -hmm. That was taught by. Archimedes, um, by Democritus, uh, by Euclid. He didn't even grasp the material laws. And then he was speculating on what, what the spiritual laws were. And then it's pure speculation. Okay. So, so then um, where does Socrates and Origen fit into all of that? Socrates was, um, in my view, one of the unrecognized prophets. Okay. He prepared the Greeks for the coming of Jesus. Um, they spoke, 
spoke about the different qualities of Jesus, the the eros, the, the love of God, um, the logos, the word of God. But they were talking about Jesus. And it's interesting if you read the uh, the symposium, the discussion around the table that was going on of them explaining what eros is, you can see how the different segments of society saw what true love really is. And it was only the Ionian Greeks who could really put into words what true love was. The Spartans, of course, true love was the love of young boys. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that for them is true love. Um, and that's reflected in today's society too. For sure, yeah. So, so, but in terms of a timeline, where is Socrates in relation to Plato and Aristotle? Well, Socrates died in, in 399 BC. Okay. So that was, that was a, that was well before Jesus's time. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 it was well before yeah. Jesus's time. And then, um, you know, Jesus told his disciples that, um, what I have to say to you, you cannot bear. So I will send the spirit of truth to teach you all you need to know. It's John 16, abbreviated a little bit. But think about that. Um, Jesus was telling his closest disciples that what he had to tell them, they could not bear it. And that one sentence really opened up a door for me. What is it that he wanted to say, but they couldn't bear it? Mm-hmm. And that's what Origen taught, what we couldn't bear. Okay. So let's okay. go there. <laughs> Origen what, lived when? Uh, 185 to 254 AD. Yeah, so he had he had access to whatever sacred texts when, and or scriptures or were going on at that time. This is before the Council of Nicaea, yeah. but there was a whole lot of writings and a whole lot of storytelling, and the Christian religion was fairly young at that time. Yes, and the, the first thing that he did um, is something that's never been repeated. He took the um, the major Old Testaments of the time and. The five major Old Testaments, the Aramaic, the uh, Hebrew, and the Greeks. And he laid them out, phrase by phrase, side by side. Think about doing that. I did that as an engineer, stripping out stuff and trying to... But five Old Testaments, he stripped them out and laid them out side by side. And he was one of the few Christian scholars who spoke Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew and he spoke Greek. And this is, it's the work is called the Hexapla. And through that, he saw the omissions that the priests and the scribes brought into the various versions. Um, and he found things that were added. Mm-hmm. Um, but after doing that work, he then started commentating on all of the Gospels. Um, the peak of his work was he wrote three, 32 books on the Gospel of John. And you know, at that time, how many Gospels were there? I mean, we know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the ones that were agreed to be considered, you know, the Gospels. Um, were those the only ones he was looking at? And I don't mean to minimize it. I know it's a lot of work. I'm just saying, or was he looking at other books as well, or other texts well, out there? Well, he, he, um, he looked at everything. Um, I mean, he published over 6,000 
uh, works. It's amazing. Um, and that's why I say, you know, he fulfilled Jesus's promise because he did explain everything. And even he was declared a heretic in uh, 543 by the uh, Emperor Justinian. But even today, people people say that no new concept was brought into Christianity after Origin. Okay, so this he examined is every concept. This is an amazing body of work. So it's like he he took what was written, which wasn't. I don't know. It was if it was, he wrote more about it than was written. I mean, obviously. Oh, oh much, much. Yeah, more. I mean, he, he took what was written and then and then kind of expanded it and analyzed it and looked at the omissions, looked at the additions, looked at. I mean, did he like discern for himself what was true and not true in his writings? Well, or did he you, add if doctrine? Read, if you read some of his original writings, which still exist, I mean, most of what he wrote was destroyed. Much of it was transcribed into Latin um, and then corrected to meet the doctrine of the day. Mm -hmm. But there are some, some pieces that come to us in his own hand. And for instance, he would say, in this case, the usage of this word. Well, this word is is used in three different ways in in the text. In this case, we can, we have to use this usage because it's the only one that fits. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the kind of analysis that he does throughout throughout his work. He he says that this this can't be um, a material or a literal interpretation because um, Jesus didn't go up the hill. Uh, because it's physically actually down a hill. If you walk where he went, it's down a hill. But they say Jesus went up. Mm -hmm. So it'd be um, like a metaphysical yeah. interpretation. He would say, yes. if it said up the hill, it meant he was like rising in consciousness or awareness yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting yeah. because we, we, I mean, culturally, we, we look at the writings in the Bible and we have this really flat way of looking at it with our with our English, <laughs> yes. which is a completely different language than Aramaic and Hebrew. And and then and then we we don't have any nuances. We have no sense of what's symbolic versus what's literal. So we just assume it's all literal or it's all symbolic or it's all trash. <laughs> it seems like those are the three things that people kind of assume. Or they just use it to support their views. Yes, oh, they, yeah, cherry pick and and pick yes. that, and <laughs> I like the way this word sounds here, and yeah, right. So he was kind of like the truth teller about what was actually the writings were really about. And yes, and what what he did, which um, was unusual. I mean, for, for him, there was no there were no contradictions. He he wrote um, a reconciliation between Judaism and Christianity. He wrote a reconciliation between Platonism and Christianity. Okay. Okay. And you saw how from his work in the Old Testament and the New Testament, he reconciled those belief systems into Christianity. Okay. So logic, logic should be in Christianity. Um, and Judaism, the, the true beliefs in Judaism should be in Christianity. And so for for him, there was there were no contradictions there was no conflict yeah so he was um, like a bridge he bridged things or he he saw he, the patterns that, things, yes. that that were overall encompassing versus looking for where this analytical mind that wants to piece things apart and 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 say that that applies that doesn't apply he he saw it all as kind of consistent 
Yeah. And, and as, you know, I, I said that when I was 14, I said, if, if, you know, there's a God who made this, I should be able to understand that. If it's God Talking who made your brain. Yeah. If he made my brain. Yeah. I should be able to understand his religion. Right, right. Right. So that was your realization at 14. Yeah. And that's what caused you to leave the Catholic church. Yes. Okay. Because, <laughs> because what was, what you saw in the Catholic church as a 14 year old didn't, didn't have the sense. logic. Yeah. Didn't make yeah. sense. Can you point to some things that didn't make sense to you? Um, I mean, the, the biggest thing to me that didn't make sense is, you know, a binary choice of heaven and hell. Um, and that's that's never made sense. That that at the end of this life, we yeah. either go to heaven or we get the eject button, yeah. <laughs> and go burn, and go burn. I think that's a problem for for. I think it's a problem for most um, thinking minds, most delicate minds, most em empathetic people. <laughs> it's like it's like there's a there's a there's an eject button, and half of us yeah. are going somewhere bad. Yeah. Okay, so that 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 was your big that was kind of your big question mark. That was your kind of this this well, that, that this God the, doesn't the make sense, yeah, yeah, or or God must make sense, and so this doesn't make sense. Yeah, because when you when you look at His creation um, as a whole, there's nothing that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You look mm -hmm. at nature; mm -hmm. there there there's nothing that doesn't make sense, um, and that's what that's what came out in in Liverpool is that. For Socrates and and the uh, philosophers in in the Academy of Plato, um, the only way you became a philosopher was you first had to study mathematics and geometry to discover logic. Then you had to study the natural sciences to understand how the nature works, and then you were ready to start looking at the spiritual world and about wisdom and about philosophy and today you know somebody who does a doctorate in in ph in philosophy hasn't done that i think that's such an interesting stacking we we do we do we either separate all those out what was the first one material math, math mathematics and, and i read that yeah i couldn't read my own writing and, mathematics natural laws and then the spiritual world so yeah. it's like first mathematics okay then natural laws and then, and then you're ready yes, then to you're go ready. into the spiritual. That is not how we look at it. No, no, it isn't. No. It isn't. But, but you understand, if God created this world that we live in, that gives us hints about him, right? And that's where you start. Once you understand how his world that he created works, then you can start thinking about him. Yeah, I completely get that. And, and I, I, like, I like the beginning with mathematics because I think mathematics— I mean, I'm an engineer as well, and I I love mathematics because it's so clear and so reliable, and it it's unchanging. And I mm -hmm. think God is unchanging. You know, there's there's not this fickleness to mathematics. Yeah, it's not like the equation sometimes equals four and sometimes it equals twenty five. Or it's it's it is something you can rely on. It's it's beautiful and it's logical. And it has to be, in my mind, also how God is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we know you can count on two hands the number of physical laws that are in the world, right? Um, and they're all beautiful. 
They're simple. They're beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And so that tells you something. It's a place to start. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's what I like the way, way Einstein said it. You know, he, he wasn't comfortable with what Niels Bohr came up with for uh, quantum mechanics. He couldn't, but he couldn't figure out the elegant solution, the, the beautiful solution, right? Um, so he kept his mouth shut, but he, he knew it was wrong, but he didn't know it was right mm-hmm. because it wasn't, it wasn't elegant as it should be. Well, that's a really interesting way of describing the spiritual journey because like when you're 14, you knew what wasn't right. You knew something wasn't right or, or something was wrong. There's, we live in this beautiful, elegant universe it's logical, it's beautiful, there's order to it. And then there's this this spiritual idea that comes at you and it's like, that just doesn't make sense. And then, but but you don't have to know what what is correct to go on the journey. The journey yes, okay. is to find that. The journey is to find what makes sense. And and I think that's where people stop because it's like, well, I don't know what makes sense. So I, yeah, this I'll I'll go ahead and accept this, you know. So they don't they don't go on the journey to find to find truth, and they find themselves stuck probably in, in rhetoric. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's so interesting. I I I didn't have the same realization like you did when you were fourteen because I I was I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up with pretty um, non religious background, but I remember when I was like nine. I remember was I was traveling with my family through I think Tijuana. We lived in California and through through mm-hmm. Baja California. And I remember seeing people who lived in these very different conditions than I lived in. We didn't I didn't live in lavish conditions, but I I lived in in a, in a nice home in Northern California, and and these people lived in uh, houses made of boxes and Coke bottles and things that I hadn't seen before. And I remember as a nine year old going, okay. Life has to make sense. Like this doesn't make sense to me that I'm living where I'm living and they're living where they're living. I was kind of judging it because it's conceivable that they were as happy or more happy than I, but I was I was judging the conditions. And I said there has to be some way that this universe is or this world, I didn't know about the universe at the time, is designed so that there is some fairness to it. There's some opportunity for each of us. And so, yeah. so in my own little mind, I, I, I kind of made up the idea of reincarnation, not having heard about it. Now, I'm not taking credit for it. I'm not saying that I am the origin of that. But I'm saying I, my mind was looking for something that would make sense out of this. And so I thought to yeah. my own mind, my own mind, my little nine-year-old mind, well, maybe we have different lives. And maybe, you know, I'm here doing this this time, and they're, they're doing this this time. And, and maybe we'll switch places in another Anyway, that's just my own story of, of of seeking seeking logic when when I had already decided that the world was beautiful and that there was something to God being order, and when I saw disorder, there had to make be some sense out of it. So that was my little journey. <laughs> well, you know, it's how I ended up um, when I came out of college because I said I, you know, I discovered Buddhism and and it really felt good. It, it felt right. Um, because, you know, we're all on this path, this journey. Some have just started the journey. Some are finishing the journey. Um, but we're all going the same direction, right? And we're, you know, what somebody behind me is going through, I went through it too, right? 
Um, and, and there's somebody ahead. <laughs> I, I can have empathy for them. Yeah. Instead of look downing it, I have empathy for them because it, because it's a long journey. Uh, and that's what origin taught is uh, a, a long, slow reconciliation with God. And that's what you th- and that's what you think that Jesus didn't feel comfortable talking to his disciples about. No, what what Jesus didn't feel comfortable about telling his disciples is why the reconciliation was needed. Okay, do you want? To, should we go into that, or should we go into to the? Um, doctrine of salvation or is it the same thing well it's it's the same thing okay uh, i mean why why do we need to be saved what are we saved from yeah and what is saved yes so um the <clears throat> what um jesus said in the sermon on the mount is that we need to become perfect as god is perfect and perfection takes time but yet god created us in his image god is ethereal He's immortal and he's perfect. How are we in his image? We're mortal, we're corrupt, and we're material. So what if God created us immortal, perfect, or divine, and ethereal, maybe that's what we need to get back to. Mm-hmm. So the uh, <laughs> one of the problems of Aramaic is it has no future tense. And a big problem of Revelations is it has no timeline in it. And most people think Revelations is a prophecy. But I like to compare it to Jesus putting John down in front of the History Channel and showing him the history of, of um, heaven. And so when we talk about the fall of a third of the stars of heaven in Revelations 12, when did that happen? When did a third of heaven fall? And heaven, how do you define heaven? Well, in Revelation, it says a great battle occurred in, in heaven, and uh, a great dragon was cast out, and he took a third of the stars of heaven with him. Heaven is, is a, I mean, God is a spiritual being. Heaven is in a spiritual place. It's a spiritual, the spiritual realm. Yes. Okay. So when, when was one third of heaven cast out? So this is the story of this is the story of how how we got where we are now. That's what Jesus knew his disciples couldn't bear, and that's what most Christians today can't bear that we fell from heaven. But yeah, but they they do they do follow the generally the Old Testament and Eden and the, kind of the fall from grace. Yes, but it's an inherited grace or an inherited uh, sin from. Adam and Eve. It's it's not we did it. Oh, okay. So so this yeah. is is this what we're talking about? Is this the doctrine of salvation, or is this just well, talking about? Or is this just talking about revelation? No. Well, this is talking about um, the restoration of all things. What what Origen taught? The restoration of all things. Okay. Yeah. The restoration of all things. So he talks about how like there was a a, a state where we all, were all together or close to God and whatever that was, and that we all fell away. I was reading about this yesterday. We all fell away in different kind of levels. And there, the, those, the angels were closer, and then the humans were further away, and then the Christ is real close to God. Is that true? Do I kind of have that? Well, there are no humans in heaven. Okay, but the souls that ended up incarnating here in the physical 
Yes, are, they are the furthest. The are the furthest. We we fell the furthest away from the the divine creator. Well, the one one third of heaven. Yes, one third okay. of the stars. All right. Fell. All right. Yeah. So, and what do we call? What did you call this again? This is um, origins. Origins teaching of the restoration of all. The things. restoration of all things. So the yeah. restoration of all things. That's what we wanted to get to. The restoration of all things. Um, T teaches, and this is Origen's, his interpretations of the Gospels, or was this just some sort of direct intuition that he received, the restoration of all things? Well, it's, um, it was well documented through the Old Testament and through the, the New Testament okay. of this restoration. Okay, yes. so, because we, we like, traditional Christianity teaches that if we have faith, if we believe then we go to heaven. If we don't, we go to hell. Something like that. That's simple. The restoration of all things is different, and it shows that, that we all fell away from the one creator, and then we're all on the path back to that, kind of like the, the prodigal son story. We're all on the path back to the divine creator. The prodigal son is the leader of the, of the revolt. Who will finally come home one day? Okay, so we're all on our way home, and this is what Origen taught as yes. his interpretation of early Christianity, based on all of the the, the uh, sacred scripts and and everything that he was interpreting, and yeah. that what he was presenting as you know this is what the original intended message was, and then yeah. what happened because that's not really what well, ended what up happened, getting translated. What now. happened was. 300 years after he died, and this is the interesting part, this is the one, the most part that intrigues me. 300 years after he died, the emperor of Rome, not the church, the emperor of Rome declared him a heretic. Of course. <laughs> but 300 years dead, okay? And so what, what did Justinian do after he declared Origen a heretic? No, I don't know that. You don't know that? I do not know that. He conquered the Arians. Okay. He killed them, the, her the heretics. And those were the early Christians. Those were the God-loving, peaceful early Christians who believed in the restoration of all things. Okay, so he wiped out the people who carried this message. Yes. Okay. And what, well, we've and seen what, that in history. what followed that? Well, I don't know, but I'm well, guessing that things like the Crusades and dark. stuff. <laughs> starts with dark. Oh, the Dark Ages. He put out the light. I get that. Yeah. So And then came the darkness. Well, this is ha this happens this has happened in history, this is happening today. It's like if you if you have a wonderful message, it's like if it's not the narrative, you're dead, you know, you're <laughs> <Yeah>. gone. <laughs> so that's what happened. Then and this is just so interesting about how did Christianity become what Christianity is, or any religion, but Christianity's roots are so interesting, or the history is so interesting, because there's kind of this all these different writings and there's kind of a competition for what's going to kind of reach the the level of being looked at and then you've got origin who's got it all out there and he's 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 kind of figured it all out with his message then you've got uh constantine and his his council of nicaea saying that's in that's out that's in that's yeah. out <laughs> and and then you have you know things coming up like the dead sea scrolls or the nagamati and like well, put those away. <laughs> so you've got this these governing bodies, these powerful people who are deciding what it is. In the meantime, yeah. 
it's it's your interpretation or your belief that origin is is like the um the the authority on early christian teaching well he was uh in in what i say is he he fulfilled that promise that jesus had and and he was speaking wisdom yes he he came and explained all the truth uh, john 16:2:3 okay that's that's jesus's promise now 300 years after he he died uh they started destroying everything that he did and and so but so then my question then is how do we know his truth is truth the truth and i think the answer would be that it is logical and that it no no there's a different answer to it okay what's the answer <clears throat> what did jesus promise he promised my word will never die okay so justinian destroyed his word do you think he's sitting by idly He's he sent other spirits of truth to teach his word. Well, I get that. I'm just trying. I'm I'm trying to think about discernment. Like so, you know, we have talked about rhetoric versus wisdom, and how do yeah. we discern what is rhetoric and what is wisdom? And so we're saying that Origen was wisdom; that he had the truth. But how do we know that? How do we discern that his what he said was the truth? Whereas this person over here is saying that, and how do we discern that that's not the truth? Well, it's a hard thing to answer without seeing his entire body of work. Um, we only have fragments of of his work, and we know what people said about him who lived around him, right? Um, we know what his enemies said about him. We know what his followers said about him. Um, but we we can't go and and prove that everything he wrote was wisdom because it's not there. Mm-hmm. What I'm suggesting is that if you read what what came out of his 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 hand, um, in other words, his original writings, not the ones that were rewritten after he died, um, you see true wisdom in his words. I mean, it's so it's like you when you see it, you know it. it it's it's just and, and you see it's it's logical. As I said, it's it's laid out very 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 logical of of how the message goes from you know genesis 1 to revelations it's the same message all the way through okay well and i think the restoration of all things which if i if i understand it correctly it says that we all are get saved or that there's salvation um and and how do we define salvation because that's kind of a tricky word it's a word that people are triggered by so i i think it's a, a returning to the the creator the source yeah yes. the divine yeah. yeah it's it's not like being good or bad or you know um but so we we all and and, the, and this does make sense to me that we all return we all come home we can't because jesus also said you know we got to go go look for the lost sheep and <laughs> you know was it wasn't like it's okay if like my my boy I, I'm gonna I'm gonna escape the laws of karma and I'm not I'm not coming back this time. Good for me. You know, that's not the end. It's like even if that was the case, we all are in process to return yeah. home. And and that, you know, that does completely a hundred percent align with a uh, with love, oh, with yes. mercy, yeah. with wisdom with all of what i would call you know attributes that i would put onto 
God the creator, the source, that this idea that, you know, yeah, if you're born a Hindu, too bad, or <laughs> if you sinned and you didn't repent on your deathbed, too bad. Those are things that don't really jive with a, an ordered universe and a loving creator presence underneath all that is. It's what you said about your your trip down south is, uh, you know, if if God is a good God, then everybody should have the same chances that I have. Yes. And that's what you were thinking. Right. Exactly. Yes. They should have the same chances that I have. Right. Right. And and that's what the, the restoration is about. You know, the the only way for us to get back is through Jesus. But that doesn't mean we can't make a long distance on the path, regaining our virtues, regaining our our um, love without Jesus. We can do it as a Hindu. We can do it as a Buddhist. We can do it as a Muslim. But to finally get back at the end, we need to go through Jesus. Okay. And for me, you know, I I have a similar belief, but it's it's a little different because I I think it's like the I am. Um, rather than the person of Jesus, but it's the the Christ consciousness, the I am consciousness, that that's, that that's the door. And then when he said, I am the door, it's like, you know, the I am consciousness is the door or the, the Christ consciousness is the door. You know, for me, there, there are many paths up the mountain. There may be many mountains, but there is one door. Yeah, there's, there's one door. But as I said, as, as you said, if, if you were born as a Hindu, um, you can work on perfection being Hindu, but you can't get through the door until you are born into Christianity and learn about Christ, and then you can get to the door. Okay. All right. I think I have a little different view, but similar, because um, I don't think it's about Christianity as much as it is about about the Christ, I guess. Well, it, 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 it's I, a semantics said, thing, I think. <laughs> no, 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 no. I agree 100% with you. I it's, I, I think it's just semantics, yeah. <laughs> we get we tied up with words. We get tied up with in the meantime, then. So the, so they they destroy all of Origen's cool writings. They declare him a heretic. We got hurled into the the dark, dark ages, and we are on this path of rhetoric. <laughs> on this path of 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 I, I love what you said in the beginning. I, I I think I wrote it down that there's a motive. There's a motive behind rhetoric, and I think wisdom just kind of is. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It's not trying to teach. It's not trying to to convert you to anything. Yes. Wisdom is just is just sitting there in its own beauty. And if you recognize it, then you're like, oh, I behold this this wisdom, and you yeah. don't feel any kind of coercion or uh, or any kind of like propaganda or persuasion. Whereas rhetoric, which is so much of what's took over religion, governments, institutions, yeah. um, all of the media narratives, everything that we live in is this has this kind of motive behind it, which is, you know, kind of like, come with me or, or this is the right thing, or you're going to get this if that, or if you don't that, you know, this is going to happen. And so there's like a coercion or some sort of a, a manipulation under rhetoric. Yes. Okay. And so, exactly. you know, and, and it surrounds us and it probably has surrounded humanity since we fell from, you know, yeah. from the, the, the creator, uh, divine, divine presence that we've been, we've been in this world of duality. 
And can you just talk a little bit about, in your book, you talk about the two trees in, in Genesis, the tree of life and the tree of good and evil, and you equate those to rhetoric and wisdom. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting. Well, I mean, you, you basically said it in, in your discussion there. I mean, the tree of life is there. It, it gives life to everybody, right? It, it, it's like the sun. It doesn't, it's not discriminatory. It doesn't have a motive. Right, it's right. It's just there, right? And it's the source of life. And if we, if you follow that through the, you know, the, I am the vine, you know, it's, it's, it, that's Jesus is the, the source of wisdom. It's Jesus is the wisdom of God, the, um, <clears throat> the love of God and the word of God. And that's the picture of, of him in the garden. And then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I hear a lot of people talk about, why can't we know about all these things? You know, why is God not allowing us to learn all this stuff? Mm -hmm. But it's not, it, it's, the, it's the knowledge of good and evil. And the best lie is 99% truth. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. It sure is. And that's the best rhetoric. It's 99% truth. Yeah, it's so enticing. It it, it has you because it's like it's it's you can't even see the one percent. That's no, you can't even see the one percent. Oh. Right. Meanwhile, the tree of life is like pure wisdom. It's it's pure. Well, it's 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 life. It's everything we need to live. Uh huh. Yeah. It's it's light. It's uh, energy, and it's non. -dis it doesn't discriminate. Right. And I've always said that's a great definition for God. God is non does not discriminate. It's like the rain that falls doesn't fall next on you, but not the person next to you. <laughs> so in the so in the story, when 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 Adam and Eve in the story ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's it's their it's it's a denial of life. But it's in its well, they they ate it. I mean it's it's a metaphor sure. that they they fell for they they the fell for the slyness they fell for the 99% <laughs> yeah it, the imitation you know it's almost like it's an imitation it's almost like a uh, a, a a copy with an error yes. in it it's an enticing copy yes, yes. yeah <laughs> it's an enticing copy i thought that was just a really 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 interesting way of interpreting uh that that story in genesis and those two trees and so here we are in in this world today, just being swallowed up and and by rhetoric and saying yes to it and continuing to be fooled by it, and you know, like in the garden, they're fooled by the the serpent. The serpent is 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 come you know, come look at my rhetoric, <laughs> and we're immersed in it. And and I think the process of awakening out of rhetoric, out of the ninety nine percent truth, into into wisdom, I think that's so much our spiritual journey. I think that honing our discernment so that we can discern between, you know, truth and falseness, you know, wisdom and rhetoric. I, I think that's the that's the biggest muscle that we have to to develop. Yeah, and it's um, the key is is in us, in in our true self is the key to understanding what is. Mm -hmm. wisdom and what is rhetoric um and at the you know the end of my my fourth book i that's the recommendation i make to everybody is going on a path of self self-discovery um that's that's where i've learned the most in my lifetime 
is on various paths of self-discovery. So would you say that's your message? Is that your, if if I were to ask you, what is your message? Would that be it? Um, And I don't mean like a, I don't mean like a religious message. I mean like, um, you know, a Sean Murphy message. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody can make that journey. Um, And so I I can't say it's my message, but, um, you know, as, as a parent, um, I think that's where we can start is to to help to understand that that each child coming into this world is a soul with a set of talents um, might have some fate attached to it. But to discover who that soul is as a parent and to nurture that soul to become what it should be, not a tree, but maybe a lion, uh, not force it to be something that right. it isn't, mm-hmm. right? And that that part of this discovery, I think as a parent, is is really needed today, um, has been for a long time. To allow to, each individual soul to discover themselves on their own path? To become the best that they can be, mm-hmm. okay? And, you know, by by giving that gift to our daughter, um, letting her cho- choose her way since she was three years old um, and being behind her the whole time. You know, she's 26 and she's never disrespected us. She's never, she loves that we gave her those chances. Mm-hmm. And they they weren't all great. I mean, <laughs> you know, they were failures. And um, But she found her way and we didn't tell her what that way was. And I think maybe a corollary of that, if for people who aren't parents, is to kind of allow that for everyone. Allow that, yeah. You know, because it's like, I, I may not, you know, I'm not your parent, you're not my parent, but I don't need to impose my will on you. And I can see you as an individual soul with your own self-discovery. And that, and that you know, it, it's, it's, it's my... Um, in my role is to allow you to unfold in your way and from your you allow me to unfold in my way and that we're not imposing on anybody but i yeah. think it's especially important with our with our children for sure well yeah i i like the way you expanded it um and when you first asked me that question i was thinking about um a number of the the people that i work with who um they need support where they are in order to get to the point where they can do self discovery Okay. Um, so you know, there, I work with a lot of schizophrenics and uh, um, people suffering from spiritual battles that they're going through. Okay, that sounds yeah. like that might be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that, that probably is. <laughs> I think I want to wrap this one up. We can do schizophrenia <laughs> and all of that at another one. Um, so, but thank you for joining me, Sean. I think you're just you have this wealth of. Uh, of knowledge and your your uh, path of self discovery that brought you in deep into philosophy and history, taking that deep dive that so few people take, and that through your books and your Quora page that you um, are out there kind of I don't I don't know that you're spreading the message as much, but you're you're kind of inviting people on the journey. You're inviting people to yeah. to discover for themselves and also offering, you know, what you know, but inviting people to discover for themselves. And I think that's just a wonderful gift to the world. 
Thank you very much for having me and your level of engagement. is amazing. I, I really love the energy that you have today. Well, thank, thank you. you. I, I appreciate it. I love, I talk to the most interesting people. I have this, the best job. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't pay much, but it's fun. <laughs> so thank you. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being. Thank you.